I want to tell you, I have held on to a firm belief for many years, and, and I think that you will agree with me in this belief. I believe that all of us, while we're here on this earth, want to be part of something of significance. We, we want to know that our life has had purpose and has had meaning. We get to the uh, a day down the road, we're sick or we're nearing death. When we look back, we're, we're going to want to look back and say, I lived my life well. I, I served God with purpose or I know that my life was important. Do you agree with me on that? I think as I get older and older, I agree with that even more and more. As I watch people um, you know, go through life and especially as people come near the end of life, they're looking back and they're going, how do I do? They're looking back going, did, did I do things of purpose? Was my life, in, was my life important? We, we want that in our life. And Jesus calls us and his disciples to live a life of importance, a life of significance. Look at Matthew 4, 19, when Jesus called his disciples, he said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. Fishers of men and fishers of women. I will show you how to do this. What he was calling the disciples to was you come and I'm going to show you how to have a life of importance. I'm going to show you how to have a life that's on purpose. Jesus had a dream and he said, come on, disciples, I want to show you how to do this. And those who would follow him become his disciples and then they would make more disciples. And Jesus says, here's how we're going to do this. And here's how you have a life of purpose. That's exactly what we've been talking about the last few weeks as we've been on this journey about this is us. Who are we as a church? We're looking forward, saying what are, what's the future for the body of Centerpoint? As we look to this November to have our 15th birthday on November 2 and 3, we're asking God what's next on the journey. If you don't have that blocked in your calendar, I greatly encourage you to block out November 2 and 3 as we have our birthday party on November 2. November 3, you're going to start hearing more and more about this. But on that day, we're going to have a big ministry fair here. Every ministry that we have involved and ones we're dreaming of, uh, we're going to have them all available where you can go check them out, talk to the leaders, know what's going on, and find out where can I plug in? Where can I jump into ministry here to help us fulfill the mission that we have been talking about. So we've been dreaming, asking God, what's next? And that's been discussed in ministry teams. There's been one-on-one discussions, next step team, elders, leaders saying, all right, God, what's next? And so I've just been unfolding and just bringing it out and saying, as, as I've heard from the church and as we're hearing from God, here's where God is leading us. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about how we've updated or given our, our mission kind of 2.0 that our mission at Centerpoint comes right from Matthew 28, and it's very simple, that we help people find and follow Jesus. We help people find and follow Jesus. That's pretty simple. It's something we can remember. It's right from the book of, of Matthew, verse 28, or chapter 28, where he tells us that here's your great commission to go to all the world, to preach, teach, baptize, make disciples. And we're just saying it around here is we help people find and follow Jesus. Will you say that with me? We help people find and follow Jesus. We can memorize that, at least most of us. Now you say, I, I'm challenged to memorize that. Okay, then memorize two words, find and follow. Say it with me, find, follow. You can memorize that, right? And then people say, well, what's your church doing? Well, we, we find and follow. What, what are you finding? Um, we're, finding um, we're finding, we're finding people to help follow Jesus. Find and follow. That's what we're trying to do. And then we talked about last week, we just spent a depth time about our motive 
What is the drive behind it? And church, our motive must be love and nothing else. The motive can't be to, to have more people, have bigger buildings, to have our name on marquees, to be written about in magazines. It's none of that. It's not to have recognition that human hands can give recognition to. It's just we're motivated by love because God told us, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength, and then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. If we're going to live on our mission, helping people find and follow Jesus, we must be driven by love and nothing else. It's got to be what's behind us. If we're driven by love, we'll do ministries that don't make sense to us. We'll do ministries that, that take us out of bounds. We'll do things like setting a crazy goal and saying, hey, a church that runs, you know, 250, 275 is going to raise $30,000 to go love on children. Well, that's, that's a crazy goal. Do you understand that? I, mean, I don't know if you track generosity fees like I do because we're doing it, but I'm following their website and I'm tracking churches they're going to and they're getting excited that uh, Mod Pizza gives 8,000 and you do that to all the projects now. And they're like, yeah, we did 12,000. I'm like, yeah, you did 12,000, but when we're crushing you, we're doing 30,000. <laughs> That's the competitive side in me. But most churches, and they told us straight up, they said most churches come in at three or four or five thousand dollars, and you know they have a fee that's ten to fifteen thousand. It's crazy. But why? Because there's children in this city that need to be loved on, and families need to be cared for. And as we do that, we get to then tell them about Jesus. And so we gotta be motivated by love. This is gonna be how we implement our plan. And after love, we say, Well, what's the vision of this? How, how are we going to live this out? That's what the vision is. The vision is, how do we put meat on the bone, so to speak? Because it's easy for us to say, well, we help people find and follow Jesus. And the natural question should be, how? How? I heard one person say it. How? Well, how, how, how are you going to do that? Because if we just put this, this idea out there, that's our mission. It's like a football team saying, our mission is we're going to win the championship. Now, it's probably not UK's mission this year. Sorry. You all, you all gave me it last week. My team looked stinky too. Our teams could play each other in a bowl game. That could be a good game. <laughs> I mean, when we have a mission, you like that one, don't you? We have a mission. You just say, how are you going to do that? Team says, I'm going to win a championship. Okay, well, how are you going to get there? What's your process to get you to become a championship living team? So what's our process to live out this mission? Last week, I kind of hit this really fast. Let me just kind of hit it again. Step one is we want to connect people to Christ. We want to help take people who don't know Jesus, come and meet Jesus. Step two, we want people to send their lives on Christ. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We learn what does it mean to walk in Jesus every single day of life. Step three, we discover our call from Christ. It means I got to discover where do I fit in the body? What's my purpose What's my giftedness? Step four, we go change the world through Christ that we're willing to go out and live for Jesus on mission every single day. So today and over the next few weeks, we're gonna dive deeper in each one of those steps. Today, I wanna talk about step one, which is connect people to Christ. What does it mean to connect people to Christ? Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. You and I, are sinners. We miss the mark. We don't keep up to God's standard. Now, we, we must go in deeper what that means today. And, and sometimes when we go in deeper what that means, sometimes you have to deal kind of with bad news, good news scenario. And that's what we have to do this morning. We need to kind of talk about some bad news, and then I'm going to bring forward the good news, but it's kind of like going to the doctor. 
If you go to the doctor, you're not unhealthy, the doctors are going to look at you and say, well, let me tell you the bad news. You're 100 pounds overweight. Your blood pressure skyrocketing. You have diabetes. If you don't change something soon, you're going to probably die of a heart attack. The doctor brings out all the bad news, and they just kind of say it, boom, straight up, here it is. They say, now, we can put together a plan here for you to lose, lose weight and get your blood pressure under control and start eating healthy and start exercising. Well, the good news is you have a long life to live. And so doctors always deal with the bad news first. And so I think if we're going to be driven by love and live out step one of connecting people to Christ, we need to understand the bad news. Now, here's the thing, though. I don't like bringing out the bad news. I don't like it at all. I didn't like doing this first service. I didn't like it. I was preparing the message this week and God kept bringing these verses forward in my mind as I was studying. I was like, I don't really want to deal with these verses, God. But many times in church, what we do is we ignore these verses. We don't talk about the bad news, so to speak. Even this morning, Bray and I were getting ready for church and she always asked, well, are you ready? How are you feeling? And you say, yeah, I'm ready. I think it's going to be okay. Today she asked, I said, I'm kind of ready, but I don't really like talking about what I got to talk about. She said, why? And I said, well, here's some of the verses. I said, I don't like it. So I bring this to you. Here's the good news that I like about these verses. This is God's word, not Brian's word. So what I'm going to share with you the bad news. It comes from his scriptures. These are, this is God's, God's word, but we have to deal with reality, church. We have to deal with truth. So in Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The wages of sin is death. You were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed. Now, the way you used to live. So he's writing this to Christians. He's writing this to followers of Christ. He's saying, this is what life was like before you met Christ. And so if you're in Christ, this is the previous life. If you're not in Christ, then this describes the life you walk in today. He says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the heirs. He's saying, so before you were in Christ, you're following the ways of the world, the kingdom of the air. In other words, you're following the evil one. Who's the kingdom of the air? That's Satan. He's saying, this is how you should live your life when you live by the ways of the world, when you follow the ways of Satan. He says, a spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. For those who are not in Christ, you have a life of disobedience. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful natures and following his desires and thoughts. He says, so when you're not in Christ, you say, what pleases me, myself, and I? What makes me happy? Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. The word wrath means a penalty. I don't like penalties. Y'all probably don't like penalties either. But Paul's saying to the church, he's saying, listen, when you were not in Christ, when you were living in the ways of the evil one, according to Satan, well, then you deserved wrath. Now, I had the wrath when I was growing up. I remember the wrath of my dad when I would disobey and the belt was pulled out. I know we're not allowed to do that today. I remember wrath when I was in school and I'd be called to Mr. McGregor's office because Brian disobeyed. And Brian got in a fight, or Brian did this, and Mr. McGregor would say, Brian, I hate to do this, but you're going to get a SWAT today. What do you mean a SWAT? He pulled out a big old paddle, had duct tape around it because it had been cracked on my rear end more than once. I remember getting the SWATs, and I remember going home and knowing they already called my dad, and I'm going to get in trouble again when I go home. Cultures change a lot today. You don't SWAT kids anymore, and many times a note homes means the teachers and principal are in trouble because you punished my child. But... Let's not go down that road. Um, 
It was wrath, though. And it was wrath that corrected me and got me in the right direction. And now, hey, look, I'm preaching today. So it is possible. But there's, there's a penalty for wrong. This is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, in your old ways, you were living underneath that. You were following the, 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 the desires of the world and your selfish desires. And there's wrath. There's a penalty. Romans chapter 8. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. You know what the word hostile means? It means you're ready to fight. So someone who says, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not a follower of God. I don't adhere to the Bible. You got your fist up. You're like, okay, God, I'll fight with you. I'm hostile to you. It's not just I'm ignoring you. There's more depth to it. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to fight. And it says it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. In other words, if you are not in, in Christ, you don't submit to God's law, and you can't do that. You can't submit to God's law until you have the power of the Spirit living in you, and you say, all right, I want to be obedient. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So the person who lives in the flesh, lives according to the kingdom of this world, being the prince of the air, the evil one, you can't please God, and you're fighting against God. That's not a good place to be in. Luke 16, I don't have time to explain this whole story, but I encourage you to go back and and read it. Luke 16 is about a rich man who had more faith in his money than he had in God. He made the wrong choice. He chose his money instead of choosing God. And here's what it says. It says, in Hades, you know where Hades is? Hades is hell. So I don't like that word. I don't like it either, but it's from the Bible. And it's the truth that we don't talk about enough in the church, we don't talk about in the world because we're like, oh, hellfire and brimstone preaching. That's not what I'm trying to bring to you. I'm just trying to bring the reality of where someone is at who's not in Christ. He says in Hades, where there is torment, torment going on and on and on, making torture, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he's in Hades, he looks up and he says, oh, there's Abraham, oh, there's Lazarus. So he's down low, Hades, looking up to heaven, and it says, and besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm has set in place so that those who want to go from from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So in other words, there's no visiting, like the people who are in Hades are not going to visit heaven for a little while, and the ones who are in heaven are not going to go visit Hades, that when you get to that point, there's an eternal separation that's forever, that when you've made the choice to say, fooey on you, God, I don't choose you, then... Hades is your home, but when you choose God, eternal home is heaven, but there's a separation, a great chasm. Again, I don't like to share that news, but that is the truth of the gospel. If someone is not in Jesus, that's the picture that's being painted right there in Luke 16. In Revelation chapter 20, talking about the end time, says anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. How is your name written into the book of life when someone believes in the saving grace of Jesus Christ? And if not, if your name is not there at the time of judgment, it's talking about is there's a separation. The picture is a lake of fire. Now, I've never been in a house fire. I've never dealt with a big fire besides like whatever we build in the backyard, a little campfire. And, And I have burnt myself and I know it's not fun. But imagine a life being tossed to the lake of fire. See, what what I want us to understand, church, is if we are going to get really serious about our mission and we are going to be driven by love, then we have to have the reality of what's happening to someone who does not know Jesus, someone who does not walk in Jesus. And we don't like to deal with that truth. So many times I've done a funeral for someone who is not a believer and loved ones will say, 
oh, they're in a much better place. The truth is if they're not in Jesus, they're not in a better place. They're not. They're eternally separated from God. I want you to stop and think with me for a moment. Who is it that's in your life that's on your love list we've been talking about? We've been talking about creating a love list. People you know that need to come to Christ. People that you're, you're concerned about. Your, your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your family, your friend member, your, your co-worker. Who is it that's on that list that you, you start thinking about, oh my goodness, that's the eternal destiny? If they don't come to Jesus, that's what's going to happen? Get one person in your mind and get their face in here right now. Get, your, get, get their face in your brain. Like, who is that person you love and you care about on this earth, but you know, they don't know Jesus. They're not walking with Jesus. Who, who is that you start thinking about? When we start with the reality of dealing with these verses we're talking about, we start thinking about the reality that there's an eternal separation and who, those who are in heaven are not going to visit those who are in Hades or in hell. And we start thinking about their reality and we start going, oh my goodness, that means I will never see them again. Should we not change our perspective how we reach out and how we'll care and how we'll love? And that means we blow up the excuses. We, we stop going, well, I don't know enough. I don't know what to say. What if they ask me a question? We go, who cares? I'm going to tell them about Jesus. That means we'll go out of our way to do crazy things to go and love people and care about people because I want them to know Jesus. And when you start thinking about people, it should break your heart. It, it, should, it should break our hearts so much we say, I've got to do something. And at the least, I'm going to start praying for God to do a breakthrough in their life. Now, I've been asking you for the last couple of weeks to start a love list. I said, write it down on your growth guide or grab a piece of paper, take a picture of it, do something with that so you see it, put it on your mirror, see it regularly, have it before you. I wonder if I were to come up to you today after church and I said, show me your love list. Do you really have it? Because if you don't have a love list, then my question is, do you really love the people you're thinking about? And I'm not telling you to do something that, I'm not gonna preach something and say, oh, I'm not doing it. I've changed my phone. I told you one of the ideas was take a picture or do something on your phone. If you came up to me today, now my phone's not on me, but I can go to the office and we can grab it. You came up to me today, there's eight names on my phone now written right there. These are people I'm praying for every day. Every time I open my phone, you know what I see? I see their names. I mean, every time my prayer is God change their heart. God use me. You know who's on that list? My brother's on that list. And it gets real. It gets real when you actually write it down and you actually put it before your face and you actually start praying. When you start looking at these verses and you go, the eternity is, I'm separated from my brother forever unless he submits to Jesus. It gets real, church. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. And as I said in the last couple of weeks, as I get older, I'm getting more and more motivated that we've got to ramp this up. It's, we can't just play church. See, the journey of becoming a true disciple of Christ begins with an honest appreciation for what life is like without Christ. Dead, lost, alone, separated for eternity. We must come to that reality and what happens to people who are not connected to Christ as their Savior. And until that sinks in deeply, we won't be moved by compassion to respond in love. 
whenever I study the church and read about the stats of the church and what's happening in the church, most all studies will tell you that basically 99% of people will never leave a friend of Christ in their lifetime. That tells me we don't understand what their eternity is. And do you realize that every generation could double the amount of Christians by each of us just reaching one in our generation? It can make a dramatic difference. Here's the great news. Christ can reverse the condition of deadness in you. He can reverse it in me. He can reverse it in people that we love. In God, Christ can bring life. I think about Lazarus being wrapped up in the grave. And when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Come out, what happened? He rose from the dead and walked out. That can happen in people who are spiritually dead. When Jesus calls your name, come out. Howard Hendricks said in one of his sermons, the amazing thing, my friend, is not that you die, but the amazing thing is that you'll live. We think we are in the land of the living on the way to the land of the dying. My friend, nothing could be further from biblical truth. You and I are in the land of the dying and on our way to the land of the living. That's if we're in Christ. This world is dying. It's fading away. But as long as you're in Christ, you're on the way to really living life on the other side of eternity. Here's the good news of the Bible. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. Now, perish is the bad news. Perishes that separation, perishes that eternity away from God. But the good news is that if you love God, he loves you, you believe in him, and there's an eternity that is with God that is forever. It will never end. That's good news. Ephesians 2, Paul then continues on from our passage where he says, hey, let me remind you about the bad news. He brings the good news. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The good news that is even when you are wandering a path away from God, even when you were not even having your eyes on God, even when you weren't thinking about God, God said, I'm going to make a pathway. And I'm going to send my son Jesus because I love you that much. And that is the truth for you. That is the truth for your friend. That is the truth for your coworker. That is the truth for your relatives, family members. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, listen, you put your faith in Jesus, you're going to be raised up to sit in heaven with God Almighty, in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. He says, look at what, how good God is. He loves you so much, even though you are dead in your sin, even though you are living according to the way of the evil one, even though you're listening to your own self, you're trying to take care of me, myself, and I. Listen, he loves you so much. He gave you this great gift, his son, Jesus, and it's a gift. Now you stop and think about gifts for a moment. I don't know how you do Christmas at your house or what the tradition is at home, but I know growing up, we would get up in the morning bright and early. I mean, it was early. It was four in the morning. And we were like, we got to wake up mom and dad. And we maybe wait till five. And underneath the, t- underneath the tree was all these gifts. My dad would get up and play this game. I got to have my pot of coffee. And you know, he'd take time getting his coffee. Mom, I got to have my tea. And you're like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to open my gifts. I'm going to open my gifts. 
And we sit down and you see the big gift and the little gift. And I can remember handing the gift and my dad going, here's your gift. And you say, son, give me $100 before you open it. Never did that. And you would never do the same thing. Never once did he say, hey, this is a big gift. That's $100. Oh, here's a medium gift. This is $50. Oh, here's a smaller gift. That's $10. He never said, now you pay me. And then once you pay me, then you can open the gift. They handed us out the gifts. They lavished gifts on the kids. You do the same thing for your children today. Lily Grace is sitting right over here. She can testify. I've never looked at her and said, hey, that gift, before you open that, 50 bucks. Never done it. I want to. Birthday times. Friends don't hand you a gift and say, hey, happy birthday. What? Well, wait, before you open that, I need some money. Pay for that gift. It's a free gift. God has done the exact same thing for us. He didn't say, oh, you got to pay up. He didn't say, oh, straighten your life up. Oh, make sure you're good. Make sure you're right. Make sure you're holy first. Oh, no, you, you got to earn this first. Make sure you're going to church a bunch of times. Make sure you're not swearing. Make sure you're not doing this. Make sure you're not doing that. Oh, and then you can have received Jesus. He never did that. He said, here is my son, a free gift of grace for you. You need to receive him. When is that package at Christmas time my package? When is that gift my gift? Is it my gift sitting underneath the tree? Well, it's intended to be my gift. Is it my gift when he set it on my lap? In my understanding, really, it's the gift I have received it when I tore into it and opened it up. Oh, thank you. And I took that gift and took it as mine. Started playing with that toy, putting in that new piece of clothing. Now, we left a whole bunch of gold mess behind, didn't we? You always had that cleanup to do. When you receive the gift of salvation, when you put your faith in Jesus, is what Paul's saying. You put your faith in Jesus, and there's a big old mess left behind, but God starts doing the work of cleaning you up. He starts taking away things that are not of, the, of God. He starts taking away the things of the world. He starts to do that. He'll do that in you, and he'll do that in your friends if we connect them to Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. So we don't go out and earn it. Don't pay the price. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that verse. Again, a verse of hope, a verse of, of purpose that God created good works for me to do. My life can have a life of significance because God gave me good works. What is the good works? I get to help connect other people to Christ. I, help to help th I get to help them get on the journey of finding and following Jesus. Then that changes the way I go to work. That changes to go to work if, I, if I'm a trash collector. That changes to go to work if I work at the assembly line. That changes to go to work if I'm a school teacher. It changes if I'm a CEO of a company. Yeah, I'm, I'm here, but boy, I have such a bigger purpose. God's handiwork is me. I'm helping people here find and follow Jesus. It changes our purpose and our mission of how we live. That's good news. I like the other good news is Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That's the story of Zacchaeus, the one who was this awful sinner that no one wanted to participate with. And Jesus comes and says, Zacchaeus, let's go to your house. They go to his house. They have a conversation. They spend some time together. Zacchaeus repents, turns his life around. And he says, listen, this is what I'm about. I come to seek and save the lost. And God uses his church his people in this process of seeking and saving the lost. And that's why we must ramp up how we are helping connect people to Jesus Christ. You see, our God is a missionary God. He's a missionary God. From the beginning in the Old Testament, God blessed Abraham to be a blessing to all nations on earth. 
And then you go to the New Testament and God sent his son to be a missionary for us. The perfect missionary who lived a perfect life on mission. And that's what we're trying to do as a church. We're trying to get more and more living our life on mission. Jesus modeled that. He showed us how to make an impact. He modeled what it means to be sent and live a life on mission. And so we as a church, that's what we're striving towards. That's what we want to grow towards. And as we fine tune, how do we help people find and follow Jesus as we work out this vision, it's going to change how we do ministry over the next two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years as we get better and better at saying, Lord, we want to be about your mission. And Jesus demonstrated perfectly to us, how do I go and find the lost and bring them to the Father? We must follow the example of Jesus. Church, I plead with you. I plead with you. Let's make it our priority to connect people to Christ Jesus. Bow your head.